Welcome to this episode of The Wolf and the Shepherd. Today we have with us Dallas Jenkins, the co-writer, producer, and director of The Chosen series. Dallas, great to have you with us. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I'm curious to know what The Wolf and the Shepherd, like which, like which one of you actually is The Wolf and which one is The Shepherd? Uh, well, I'm the smart one. I'm the wolf. All right, got it. Uh, the okay. shepherdy one, he, he's the one who kind of navigates everything. So. All right, good. Good. Just wanted to clear that up before we start. Yeah. Good. Mm. Good deal. So uh, you have the show chosen, and it, it's got a huge following, and obviously we want to talk a lot about that. So I'm going to turn it over to the wolf, and he's got some questions about that and kind of walk through uh, the show and what it's all about and all that good stuff. Spoiler alert, it's about Jesus. Uh, yes. Yeah. In case anybody was wondering, but uh, I'm going to turn it over to the wolf and let him kind of guide us through this. So, yeah, my, my first thing was like, was it always set out to be like, in terms of episodes? I mean, did you always think that like, you know, I'm, I'm going to produce a series that's going to be like six, eight episodes and that's going to be it? Or did you originally think, you know what, it'd be nice to have a movie, but, you know, I'm going to run out of time because, you know, obviously when you do a series, you have more time, right? So you do like six, eight episodes, you can get away with three or four hours. With a movie, it's hard to get away with more than, you know, a couple of hours. So, I mean, what was your approach when you originally wrote this, was it like this is definitely going to be a series, or did it have some other type of uh, you know genesis to begin with? Like, sure. oh, I can make, do a movie of this. Or... Yeah, well, it started with a short film that I did for my church's Christmas Eve service. Uh, it was about the birth of Christ from the perspective of the shepherds, and I shot it on my friend's farm here, twenty minutes from me here in Illinois. And it was only intended for my church's Christmas Eve service, but in that twenty-minute short film. I felt like we explored more about the story of the birth of Christ than I'd ever seen before in a portrayal. You know, we showed what the shepherd's day was like earlier that day and how they were taking lambs into the, into the town to, to sell for sacrifice. And we showed them hanging out around the campfire at night um, before the angels show up. And, and uh, in that exploration, I just thought, boy, this is so interesting to me. And, and it turned out to be quite interesting to the audience. And, and it really made the birth of Christ and the, and the experience of that and that, that little story that's just in the Gospels uh, only covers, you know, a handful of verses. But in 20 minutes, we just were able to get in so much deeper and it really brought the story to life even more than ever before for me and for a lot of the audience. And so that's where the idea for a multi-season show came from. I was also binge watching shows like Breaking Bad and The Wire and Friday Night Lights and Downton Abbey and shows like that with my wife or, or, when I, or by myself, and I was like, well, one of the things I love about television and the multi-season um, shows is that you can really dig into the characters. You, you really fall in love with them and you follow them from season to season and you can take your time with the storylines as opposed to most Jesus movies and miniseries where you go from miracle to miracle, Bible verse to Bible verse, you never get a chance to really get to know anyone. Um, even... To some extent, you don't get really get a chance to get to know Jesus because you're only seeing him through the lens of these famous stories, and you don't get a chance to really dig into any backstory or cultural context or historical context 
or, or personality, really. So from the beginning, the plan was, we're going to do this over the course of multiple seasons, or at least we're going to want, we're going to try to. Um, you know, obviously, you never can guarantee you're going to get a chance to do multiple seasons because uh, the show may not succeed. So um, the first season, when we finally finished it, and it's been out there and now it's started to really get um, successful and, and popular around the world, um, we now have a very good idea that we're going to be able to do seven seasons. So that's the plan of seven seasons. But yeah, right. I know that's a long answer to your question, but when I first started with the short film, I didn't even have the idea of the show in my mind. Once I decided I want to do a show, yes, the plan was seven seasons. You know, that's where we landed on, around seven seasons, eight episodes per season, which really gives us the time to dig into the stories and the people in the way that they deserve. Yeah, and it's interesting you gave those examples of like Breaking Bad and Friday Night Lights and all that because, you know, a lot of the time with TV shows, you have to sell the plot and then sell the characters, all right? Because people will look and say, oh yeah, this sounds interesting, I'll buy into this. And if they like the characters, they like the actors, they'll watch it. And even if the plot, you know, kind of dilutes a little bit and isn't necessarily that interesting, they'll keep with the show, but with this, they already know the plot, hmm. all right? There's no surprises. It's like, there's not really, and this is one thing I was going to ask you. It's like, when you're dividing up the episodes, you, you're not like your traditional TV show. You're not going to have cliffhangers of what happens next, you know, type thing. It's this continuity that really, if somebody enjoyed the previous episode, then they're going to watch the next episode. It's not like what happens next. Right. Well, yes, that's true on a large scale. So people know the overall story. Jesus, ultimate, you know, he, the Gospels cover his ministry for about three years. We know that he died on the cross, spoiler alert, and we know that, uh, that he rose from the dead. At least us believers believe that, but everyone knows that that's the story. Uh, you can't, that, that's, that's the trick really. And I think that's something that we've tried to do and, and, and people have seemed to appreciate it in season one so far. And, and we're working on season two right now is to create those surprises into, is it create subplots that some of which weren't in scripture that we can plausibly portray through our knowledge of cultural context, historical context, human behavior, where how, how can we create some tension? Can we create perhaps not total cliffhangers about the big picture, but some storylines that you do want to know how is Simon Peter going to react now that he is, has chosen to follow Jesus and give up all his, you know, give up his job. How, more importantly, how is his wife going to react? Um, now in the Bible, there's no mention of that. We know that Simon Peter had a wife, for example, um, but we don't know much about her other than that her mother was healed by Jesus uh, from sickness. So exploring the emotional subtexts and the emotional subplots has allowed us to create some of those traditional television tropes that make shows like Friday Night Lights and Breaking Bad so interesting. Um, so, you know, most people have said that they, they binge watch the show because they, they just can't wait to get to the next episode. And I don't think it's just because they know the story. I think they are, I think they have been intrigued by the relationships and the emotional uh, backstories that, that we've created um, that have allowed us to really have fun and, and be impactful 
with the with the safety net of the overall story. The overall story provides a safety net for sure. We know the beginning, the middle, and an end, and we know it's exciting and fantastic. Now we get to play a little bit and really uh, create some interesting thing, interesting ways for you as the viewer to connect with the characters. Yeah. Now, um, actually, when we knew you were going to come on the podcast, I sent out emails. I've got a bunch of friends, are youth pastors, senior pastors in churches in North Texas, some pretty large uh, churches and stuff. And um, I got a few me emails back. And the most common question was, how hard is it to cast Jesus as a character? You know, like, how do you choose that character? I mean, what do you look yeah. for? I mean, what's that? Well, I have, a, I have a, an advantage in that I actually cast Jesus seven or eight years ago. Um, I did a short film for my church um, about seven or eight years ago about the crucifixion from the perspective of the two thieves on the cross. There's been this trend in my uh, life over the last seven or eight years uh, at the church that I worked at. And I was making movies um, as well, but for my church, I would... Uh, every Good Friday service, we would do a short film or a vignette about a story from the Gospels, uh, typically centered around the crucifixion sometime around that time, but from a different perspective. Um, and that's, I think, what informed this show. But we did the crucifixion from the perspective of the two thieves on the cross who were on either side of Jesus. And I was the thieves were the main characters. Jesus only had a handful of lines and showed up near the end. And uh, I was casting for the two thieves, and but everyone who was playing the auditioning for the role of Jesus was horrible. Um, partially because it was a smaller role, maybe, so we weren't getting the, the best actors. And Jonathan Rumi was one of the guys who auditioned for one of the thieves, and he did a great job, but there were two other guys that I thought were perfect for their parts. And I said, boy, I really needed Jesus. Well, Jonathan seemed to have some tenderness to him in his, in his audition. So I'm going to have him audition for Jesus and see if it works. And about 10 seconds into his audition, I was completely blown away. I was like, oh my goodness, this guy is perfect. He has the masculinity mixed with the tenderness. He feels like a real person, but yet um, has a strength about him that, that, that I think Jesus had. And when I did the short film and he shows up, you know, for the last couple minutes, I, I, even just in those couple minutes, I said to myself, this is the best portrayal of Jesus I've ever seen. And so I started working with him more each year on other short films and vignettes. So when it came time to do this show, when we had this opportunity to do this on a mass scale, he was the first person cast. And uh, so I, I, I for sure got fortunate there by getting to know him in advance and seeing how amazing he was um, at the being able to be strong, being able to be tender, being able to be dominant, but also have a servant's heart, um, to feel like a normal person. I mean, he was a human being. But also when he does the miracles, um, to have a strength about him as well, and I think that's what one of the one of the best parts of the show is Jonathan's performance. Right, and I think you know I I, I think one of the best portrayals of Christ is um, in Passion of the Christ. Right, that it almost makes you feel uncomfortable in yeah. the presence of that character, but it makes you feel uncomfortable, but also comfortable i mean i know that's kind of yeah. you know a little bit of a paradox there but just that it should make you be uncomfortable to be in the presence of christ because the whole point of christ being the light and he you know reveals you know everything about you but there should also be that comfort and his grace and his love and so you know having a character 
who you can look at and not necessarily care about that actor and be like, oh yeah, he was in Fast and the Furious 7, whatever. But right. I mean, it, it should be about you being able, that character being, I don't know, I, it's a hard thing to say. I mean, it, it's hard for actors no, I... to be Jesus, you know? It, yeah. It's, it's got to be the hardest role to play because, you know, it's everything surrounding it because people take from it that like, you know, this grace, this mercy and everything. And, you know, if you've got people who are not necessarily Christian friendly to things, how do you have a character on screen who portrays those things which are unsaid? Because there's a lot in the gospels which is unsaid and which is said later after Jesus's death. But how would that character on the screen, do you get those things across? Yeah, no, it's all, all great questions and points that you're making. I think, um, you know, one of, in terms of portraying Christ, Jonathan talks about this. Uh, in fact, we have a whole video on our YouTube channel. If you just look up The Chosen and just look up portraying Christ or portraying Jesus, um, you'll find it. It's also in our app uh, where he talks. We, we had a 45-minute conversation on camera about this. And one of the main thing, first things he says is, I just have to empty myself of me as much as possible. Um, because I'm not worthy to play this role. I'm not Jesus. Um, and, you know, he and I both, w w as we're making the show, have to kind of try to get out of the way, recognizing right off the bat, we're not worthy. We can't live up to Jesus. We can't live up to the Gospels. All we can do is our best to try to portray this in, in, in an in a authentic way. And that's typically going to mean kind of emptying ourselves a little bit and, and getting our own ego out of the way. Um, in terms of the comfort and the lack of comfort at the same time, I think that's absolutely true. Um, you'll see in season one, when Jesus first encounters um, some of our main characters, such as Mary Magdalene, um, who was demon-possessed when Jesus met her, or Nicodemus, who had been living a religious life his whole life, but had not had a relationship with, a personal relationship with God's son, and was fighting the fact that Jesus, in many ways, contradicted a lot of what Nicodemus had believed. Simon Peter, when he encounters Jesus for the first time after Jesus did a miracle um, with a catch of fish. And, and, and Simon had been up all night trying to catch fish, hadn't catch anything, caught anything. Jesus produces this massive catch of fish. Well, all of them have these very uncomfortable reactions at first. So Mary Magdalene tries to get away from Jesus. She says, get away from me because the demons in her are conflicting so much. Um, she, she just can't accept his, his attention. Nicodemus falls to a knee when he kind of realizes this is the kingdom of God and, and treats him like an earthly king. You know, he kisses his hand, he falls to his knee, and Jesus has to kind of lift him up and say, no, 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 that's not how, you know, I'm not an earthly king. Uh, I'm, 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 a, I'm trying to get you to focus on your heart and your heart connecting to me on a, in a spiritual way. Simon Peter falls to his knees in shame and says from the Gospels, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. Um, and Jesus each, each time, pulls them in with Mary Magdalene. He literally calls her by her real name and, and, and take, you know, uh, hugs her and with Nicodemus, same thing. He lifts them up and says, blessed are you who take refuge in him and cradles his head and tenderly with Simon. He says, look at me, look up at me, fisherman. And he actually comes down to Simon's level. And, and, and after he says, look, look up fisherman. And then he comes down to his level and they see eye to eye and he calls him to follow him. And, so, yeah, those are the, the hallmarks, I think, of, of The Chosen, is that when Jesus reaches to you, and, you know, there, there might be someone listening right now or watching right now who 
either knows Christ or doesn't know Christ, but maybe hasn't had that experience where they are faced with that choice. And I think that uh, Jesus, when, when we're faced with that choice, when we're faced with that moment, it can be both uncomfortable and comfortable at the same time. Well, I, I think that's one of the most beautiful things in the scriptures, whether you go from the Old Testament or the New Testament, that you look at the people who God chose to do his work, that it, it was such an extreme, I guess, bunch of failures right. you know, in the real world who he took and made fantastic things happen. I mean, even, you know, among the disciples and stuff that nobody really, you know, even in today where you're judged on social media because you're too fat, you know, you're wearing too much makeup, blah, blah, blah. There's nobody who can really, really get on that list of failures that were like in the scriptures. You know, I mean, there was a whole bunch of failures that you, you, if you really had to put it down and you were going to hire people, you would not have hired anybody in the Old Testament or New Testament who God chose, you know, uh, to do the, these great things. And I think that's one of those wonderful things. And for me, the whole epitome of grace is that, like, you know, the, the people God chose to do such fantastic things, when I become self-judgmental about myself and other people, I think, wow, how God used other people who were in a far worse state than I ever was and uh, I've ever been, but still made them do great things. But it, it's just hard sometimes, especially now because there's so much more judgment with social media and stuff that, you know, you get judged nowadays on things you would never get judged on before because nobody knew about it. And people right. are very, you know, it saddens me when, you know, people hang themselves because like people, you know, commented on their social media that, oh, you're fat, and they, you know, go hang themselves and stuff. And it's, it's just so tragic that people, you know, put their worth on other people's opinions. And yet, you know, again, we have this great history, you know, through the scriptures of people who you could define as the worst losers in existence, and God used them to just do such magnificent things. I mean, yeah, well, and that's, that's one of the key themes of season one is, you know, we believe if you can see Jesus through the eyes of those who actually met him, you can be changed and impacted in the same way that they were. If you can identify with the problems and the questions and the concerns and the struggles of these people from the first century, you can then potentially identify with the solution and the answer. And one of the things we do is really set up who these people were before they met Jesus. And, and it wasn't always pretty. Um, and it was surprising. In fact, we portray Matthew, the tax collector, who was hated by the Jews for working for the Romans and disrespected by the Romans for being Jewish. And we add this, what we believe is a plausible um, layer, maybe not factual, but plausible that Matthew was also on, on the Asperger's spectrum or the autism spectrum. And we've had so many people who've commented specifically about him saying, if Jesus can choose him, he can choose me. I, I could I connect with him, whether it was his special needs struggle or his being an outcast. Um, Simon, the desperation that Simon Peter felt to get out of debt and to commit sins just to try to protect his family and himself and his livelihood. Um, Nicodemus caught up in the religion of his, you know, the, 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 of, of his upbringing and uh, unable to see past that. Um, we really want people to be able to see that there is no place you can go that's too low for Jesus to reach in and give you grace. And, and, that's, uh, what, and that's one of the yeah. things that's, 
amazes me reading through the scriptures that when people say it's not God ordained or, you know, God didn't have a hand in writing the scriptures that you could not have made up these characters, you know, in a million years of these people in various states of desperation or, you know, parts of the life where they were so enrolled in sin that, you know, the spirit of God turned them around. And, you know, one thing I like about, you know, when I was reading up on your show and, you know, it connects to one of the podcasts we did, um, like maybe a month ago on memory that, you know, people's memory of people, you know, is based upon environment prejudice and various things. And so, you know, when you have, you know, people looking at Jesus, I guess at the time, you know, they were always looking at Jesus based upon, you know, their pre-belief, their circumstance and everything else, but it obviously changes across time. And now everybody sees Jesus it's it's either relational in terms of how it affects them or it's how they understand the scriptures. I mean, it's very different in, I guess, uh, you know, you look at, you look at a lot of other holy books, a lot of other religions, you've got what they say are normal people and it's, everything's indoctrinated in terms of you believe this, you believe this, you believe this. There's not much personal experience. Whereas Christianity as a whole is a very personal experience. I mean, you know, the Shep and I, we, you know, we recorded um, the Christmas podcast and we were talking about the song, Oh Holy Night. And there's a point when that choir kicks in where it's like God touches you. Mm. And, you know, I don't think, and, and there's no disrespect to other religions, but I don't think there's a thing where God touches you as much. And uh, I, it's, just, it's just hard to explain. It's like God touches you in such amazing places. And, you know, how to put that on screen to get that in front of people. Just look, if, you, if you're just willing to allow God to touch you, then he will come and meet you where you're at. It doesn't matter how much of a loser you think you are. You know, you've got to, as long as you're open to allowing God to touch you, he will come and meet you. Yeah. And that's, you know, I mean, that's really well said. And, and I think that's what people say most about the show, um, which is we portray Jesus as, yes, the perfect human. Yes, the ultimate good, the ultimate uh, ideal. But he, but as a man, as a human, um, you know, he was born in very modest, extre- extremely, uh, surprisingly uh, low uh, circumstances, um, you know, born in a, in a stable um, to peasants from Nazareth, which was, you know, a very disrespected podunk town. Um, he, the way he lived his life, the, the people that he surrounded himself with, um, he was constantly reminding you that uh, he meets you where you're at. The, the term Emmanuel, which is to, tends to be a Christ, Christmas term, yeah. the God, um, God with us, that, that's what the whole show is about. We believe that God himself, uh, in the form of a man, in the form of the Son of the Father, uh, the, came to earth and dwelt among us. And he laughed and he cried and he got injured and he 
um, got upset at times and he did his bedtime prayers and he respected his mom. And, and the first public miracle that he did was a favor for his friends because his mom asked him to, because he was at a wedding, no doubt would have danced with his friends and laughed and all of those things. Um, not only do they not take away from the divinity of Christ, but we believe that the show has helped enhance uh, the divinity of Christ in the eyes of many people and seeing that the, the God of the universe dwelt among us uh, as a human. And uh, that's, that's the personal. And, and, and he didn't do big show-offy things. Anytime he did a miracle, it was about the personal. He wanted to get to your heart. He wanted you to, he wanted to get your attention to focus you more on him and more on uh, getting your heart broken and surrendered to, to your need for the savior. And, uh, you know, for better or worse, whether you're a believer or not, that's, that's what we're portraying in the show. And, and we've had non-believers and believers alike appreciate that fact that it, it feels like an authentic portrayal and not just a cardboard cutout Shakespearean portrayal of Jesus, which is what we so often get. Right. Now, do you think at this point in time, it's almost impossible across normal um, you know, TV networks, TV studios, you know, movie studios to now, given the age we're in, to actually give a accurate portrayal of Christ without having to surrender or maybe censor some of the messages from the gospel? Well, I certainly hope not, because we're, we're not sacrificing the messages of the gospels, um, you know, I think maybe that's one of the benefits of doing this outside the system. Um, we're not financed by a major streaming ser service. We're not financed or produced by a big TV network. Uh, we, we created our own thing. We're crowdfunded. Our first season was, was financed by 19,000 people who invested over $10 million from around the world. Um, we created our own app so you can watch the show completely free. And the show is now in literally every country in the world. It's been translated in approaching 50 languages. Um, and it's all done, you know, in, independently. It's all done outside the system. So we're, we're not beholden to the rules of any, anyone else. We're not, we don't really care about how things come across. We're just trying to tell the most, uh, most authentic story possible. And if at some point people don't want to watch it anymore, then I guess we'll stop. But, um, but, as, but people are continuing. We give the show away for free. You know, you're going to watch all eight episodes completely free and easy on the chosen app. And it, when you connect it to your streaming device, whether it's like a Roku or Apple TV or Fire Stick or whatever, you don't have to sign in anything. You don't have to register. You don't have to pay anything. It's totally free, totally accessible. And then we say when we're done watching or when you're done watching, if you want us to keep doing this for free uh, for people around the world, if you want us to keep doing future seasons, you can contribute if you want, or you can buy the DVDs or you can buy the merchandise like what I'm wearing right now. And people do it. They do it to the extent that we're, financing future seasons and episodes and we're as i talk to you now i'm going to be leaving for texas in just a day to go uh shoot the second half of season two it's working um yeah. but doing it outside the system allows us to not have to think about i really when i'm right. writing i don't think about how it's going to come across i don't think about who i'm going to offend or not offend that's the beauty of it i mean i mean i guess now i mean the great thing with the channels of distribution we have as opposed to 20 years ago is that you can do something like this and you can get, you know, this groundswell behind you to go ahead and produce a show. And, you know, 20 years ago, it had been very difficult. I mean, you go back 30 or 40 years ago, 
you know, it would have been harder to do it, but also you didn't necessarily have the pushback from some of the networks. I mean, now there's so much sensitivity and not wanting to offend people that, you know, trying to get, you know, your show on, you know, a major network would be almost impossible because the pushback against it would stop it. It doesn't matter about how many people want to watch it, how many people subscribe to it. It's about those two or three people who say like, oh yeah, this offends me, so let's cancel this show. Um, You know, I I go back to some of the, um, you know, Christian movies I saw maybe 20 or 30 years ago and they were very, very lame. And, you know, (laughs) the same thing with the music you know, going back then, I mean, it was, it was very, very poor. Now I understand, you know, that people had the right heart and stuff, but I don't think people at that time understood the market. I mean, I remember when I was, you know, back in college in England, um, I was in the Christian union, uh, and this guy bought on this rap tape, this Christian rap tape, right. And this was like 1990. Okay. And he played this tape for us and this literally on tape. And it was, uh, it went along the lines of, uh, oh, here's the holy book. Let's open it up and take a look. Now, I wasn't expecting like, you know, kind of mad, kind of hip hop type stuff, but you listen to it and it was cringy. I mean, and it did take a long time for, I guess, Christian music to actually get some good artists and actually break in, you know, to the, to the norm. And it, I think it's the same thing with like, you know, TV and stuff, introducing religion into secular TV was very difficult unless somebody had some good funding behind it and you could get, you know, you could be put in a position whereby, you know, all right, I I mean, I don't think now, I mean, I think it's impossible. I mean, if you wanted to go on any network, you couldn't get an outlandish kind of like Christian, you know, based show on there. But independently now i mean obviously you can do it and you can get crowdfunding which is fantastic because you know i mean (laughs) you know you've got believers there who want to put the money there and get the message out there that's awesome and i think we're in a better position now than we were 20 30 40 years ago honestly yeah for sure because we you know the, the the golden rule in hollywood is he who has the gold makes the rules and when you're beholden to the networks and the streaming services or 20 years ago when there weren't any streaming services, uh, there was a certain amount of studios and a certain number of networks that controlled everything. And that's their right. I mean, they, they, they earned it. They, they worked their way up and built these companies. Um, but there, didn't, there wasn't much of an alternative, which I don't think is great for art in general, wh- whether it's Christian art or otherwise. I think the more diversity we have, the better. And the more independence that people can have to create their own stuff, the better. Um, but yeah, that's the beauty of this is we don't, we're not beholden to anyone other than God and, and our, you know, the people who financed this show who we want to please. Um, but they know, even our investors are the people who support the show know, and they knew from the beginning, look, we're, we're, we're just, we're doing what we believe is best for this show. And, uh, you know, if you like what you see, then continue to support it. But if not, that's okay too. Um, and we just, we're, we're not, like we, even just on our social media, we have a huge social media following now that we, we develop every day. And occasionally we'll do a meme or, or I'll do a video or something that is irreverent or funny or, um, you know, 
like I remember once we, we, we wished everyone a happy Halloween and there were a handful of people who were just horrifically offended because they think Halloween is of the devil and they right. couldn't believe that a Jesus show would, would say happy Halloween. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, you know, okay. Like we, oh. we, and, and then some people will be like, well, why aren't you apologizing? And, and, and I'll say, well, cause we didn't do anything wrong. Like we, we're, we're not gonna, we're not sure. gonna live in this world where just because someone's offended then that means you have to then change what you're doing. Um, now, of course, I'm sensitive to, to people and I'm sensitive to, to God and I don't want to do things that are wrong. But just, just because someone's offended doesn't mean that something wrong happened. And, right. and so that's, again, that independence that we have is great because we can just say, okay, you know, so, you know what? Look, we're not for everybody and that's, that's perfectly fine. But we, we don't belong to someone who's going to tell us you just bothered someone, we've decided that we're going to cancel you, or we've decided that you need to apologize, or we've decided you need to change and, and tone down the show to make it more palatable for more people. Um, that's just not how we're gonna operate, and, and, and we have the freedom to do that, and it's, a, it's great. Yeah, and I think that, I, I don't know if it exists so much now, but I think between the early 90s and maybe early 2000s, there was a pushback against Halloween and, you know, a lot of evangelical Christians were, I guess, segmenting in terms of, oh, if you believe this, you celebrate this, this is wrong, this is very anti-Christian. But the thing is, I mean, you know, Jesus at no point did he come to divide people. You know, he ate with prostitutes and tax collectors and everything else. And it wasn't, his presence there wasn't to be like, oh, I approve of prostitution. I, you know, approve of you know, non-representative tax collection. It's a point where I will meet the sinner where they are at. And, you know, with Halloween, I mean, you can pull in, you know, a lot of similarities with Christmas in terms of, yeah, it has a lot of pagan, you know, origins and, you know, Christmas as it's presented a lot of the time in church and by Christianity isn't really how it kind of came about, but it's the idea behind it. But the moment you start dividing people and saying, oh yeah, you're not worthy, you celebrate Halloween, so don't bother coming to church and all their stuff, that's, I think that's the most damaging thing you can do. Again, it's about bringing people to God and getting them to see that, like, look, as long as you take your focus away from maybe what you're celebrating or, you know, deifying and understanding that Jesus is Lord, then that's kind of mission accomplished in a way. This, I don't think there's anything wrong with Christians celebrating Halloween in the same way that you take the pagan origins. There's nothing wrong with, you know, Christians celebrating Christmas. You know, it just seems these different labels and all these things get moved around. But the ultimate goal is getting people to have a relationship with Christ you know, it's not about the holidays. It's not about the Hallmark cards. It's not about what's showing on TV. We've got to bring people to Christ. Yeah, and if we're gonna, if there's gonna be division, it should be for the right thing. That's that's the main point. Is Christ, you know, had a had a message that was pretty exclusive at times too. I mean, he welcomed everybody, but said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the the savior." And 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 we, I I believe that in, in this show, and we portray Jesus as such. Um, and, but I think a lot of Christians can sometimes confuse that with, well, we're going to be divisive. We're going to be exclusionary on everything. Anything that we believe in uh, means that if you don't believe in it, you're not welcome. Um, and uh, that's, that's for God to decide, uh, not for us. And so 
yeah, that's that, that's one been one of the cool things about the chosen too is is that uh, we have people involved in the making of the show that come from different faith backgrounds. In fact, many of them come from no faith background. I mean, I would say well over half of our cast are not believers. Um, we have people in the leadership team. I, I'm an evangelical. Um, the show comes from an evangelical perspective, and um, it's not influenced by other faith traditions, but we have Catholics and Mormons and uh, Messianic Jews and, 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 and Orthodox Jews and agnostic or, or secular Jews and um, total non-believers all working on the show, contributing to it. Um, that doesn't impact the content. The content, again, is, is evangelical and, and biblical, but, um, you know, we, we are, we are a, a, a place where if you want to contribute to getting this show out to the world, you're welcome. And if you want to support the show, you're welcome. And if you want to comment on our social media and uh, coming from a different perspective, um, this show has, has seemed to unite people from all different faith traditions because we're focused on Jesus. We're not focused on religion. We're not focused on the things that tend to trip us up, uh, most of which all came after Jesus was here. We're focusing on portraying the authentic Jesus, and, uh, and, and people seem to be on board with that. Well, I think, you know, and some people get this entire misconception about social media that, you know, from a Christianity perspective, the people you should be aiming at are the people who give you the downvotes. You know, the upvotes, they're already in your corner. But the people who give you the downvotes, it's those people where you've got to find and maybe meet them where they're at and kind of see why it is they're not connecting, you know, where their issue is. Like I said, you know, you can, you can have your cheerleaders behind you. Those are not the people you need to convince. And, you know, from a Christianity perspective, I mean, really meeting those people who disagree with what you do or maybe criticize, you know, certain episodes and how you portray things. I mean, those are the people who really you want to reach out to, you know, those people who, you know, maybe need that love in terms of understanding that why they don't like something is not about how you've portrayed it and how you've written it. It's about their own circumstance sure. and maybe healing them in terms of how you portray certain things. Yeah, that's true to some extent. I mean, I think uh, what, what we find is that the vast majority of criticism that we get is from believers who are angry, you know, for whether because we wish people a happy Halloween or because we portray things that weren't explicitly in scripture or because we portray something as differently than how they would do it or we made a joke on social media that they don't like or they think that it's, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, make, a, we'll make a joke about our actors and they'll, they'll respond as though we're, we're mocking God himself. And, and, uh, and so th I think there is a point to where we go. Yeah. Our job is to make a show. We can't, we can't make everybody happy. And, and, you know, it, if you're going to bring your own biases or, or prejudices uh, to this conversation, we're, we just don't have time to make everything right. So I think there's a point to where we can't please everybody. But what, to, to your point, um, I don't make the show when I'm writing, I'm not writing thinking about the audience per se. I'm not thinking about, well, how do I make sure that they understand it? How do I make sure that they like it? I mean, as an artist, you want to do that in general anyway, but I'm, I'm genuinely in a, in a place in my life, spiritually and artistically, where the, I'm, my primary responsibility is to please God. And, and to my, and my wife. <laughs> um, other than that, I'm not thinking strategically 
Um, I'm just trying to tell the best story that I can, the most authentic story that I can, in a way that honors God, honors Christ, the story of the Gospels, the intention and character of the Scriptures, and of Jesus. And um, the rest is not up to me. So um, there, are, on one hand, is, yes, absolutely, an attempt to connect with the audience, and an attempt to reach people where they're at, especially people who are hurting, especially people who are broken, especially people who, who don't believe in Christ and who are looking for something. For sure, we are providing resources for them. In, in abundance. But if you're, if, if, if when you come to us or when you come to watch our show or our social media and you're coming at it from a perspective of what is there that I can point out that I don't like, what about this can I take issue with so that I can be the truth police and come down on you anytime you step outside of my box? Uh, we don't, we don't really have as much time for that. And we don't really take time when we're even writing the show to try to please those people. I think there yeah. is, it is, it is, it is nuanced. Sure. Yeah. I, I think, you know, whenever it comes to, you know, Christianity, you know, the people who are most disturbed by the truth, you know, the ones who are really searching, you know, a lot of the time you get believers who get, you know, so finite about, oh, well, you know, church should start at this time and be right. on this day. And, you know, you should only do this, do that. You shouldn't mention halloween and everything else those, right. those people are kind of it, it's not a point they're not the <laughs> unsaved as such but they're people who get so bogged down into right. this kind of division and i i don't know how to I, I don't think anybody knows how to deal with that in modern day in terms of how people you know deal with this stuff which doesn't matter i mean i can't remember the verse but yeah it's the thing about you know why are you concentrating on these things which just don't matter right. you know the primary things jesus is lord jesus is my lord jesus came in the flesh you believe those things you know you confess your sins before god you're forgiven but it's not rocket science and this is the thing like and this is why you know every you know, tribe on earth, it doesn't matter where you go, the message of the gospel is very, very simple. But it's got to a point where it's become overcomplicated in a way that people feel pressures that they're not saved because they're not doing this and not doing this. And it absolutely has nothing to do with the gospel. And, you know, I don't think that the majority of tv and movies really help the situation because i think this perfection portrayal of jesus and that if you don't meet this kind of standard then you fail and you're not accepted i don't think you know a lot of the uh christian messages i guess you know really concentrate as much on grace that it doesn't matter how much of a failure you are because again going back to your show you've got the biggest collection of losers probably in the history of the world who God used to make the most fantastic things happen. And people aren't presented with that now. They th if they're a loser, they're labeled a loser. They don't get this, that I can be something fantastic. It's, it's a society thing. It's not a God thing. And I think it's been differentiated to the point where, people think, oh, I'm too fat, so I'm a loser, I can't do anything good ever, you know? And I think, you know, once you take God out of secular society, that God can use it wherever you are, it doesn't matter what you think of yourself. It's not about what you think of yourself, what other people think. 
It's about what God thinks about you. And God can use you to do the most mightiest things. And that's a hard message to get across when it meets so much backlash nowadays. And I mean, I'm, I'm so happy you've done this show. I mean, I, I really am. I'm so proud of you when I looked at it, you know, crowdfunding and everything else, because we need it. We really need it more now than ever. We need it. We need to tell people you matter. You, you know, God, God can use you. You know, it doesn't matter where you're at, you know, God can use you. And I, I love, you know, like I said, the, the way you're doing your show and, you know, seeing it from other people's point of view of, yeah. you know, God, you know. Well, if giving people a better understanding of grace is, is, is the one thing that our show accomplishes, and then, then for sure that would be considered a success. I think the, 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 the shepherd, you were going to say something uh, a minute ago? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, the wolf, he kind of stole my thunder there, uh, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> So, no, that, that's cool. What, one thing that I was kind of curious about, to be honest with you, is how much, you know, you, you have the story, right? And, and kind of like the wolf alluded to, I mean, there's no spoilers here. Everybody already knows the story. But you know the show's got to end. So, so once the show ends, do you have anything in your mind of saying, okay, we, we've now finished the story. Now, what are we going to do? Well, you know, I operate on what my wife calls the manna program, uh, which is when God gave manna to the Israelites each day, he actually told them, don't store up any extra. If you do, I'm going to make it rot. Um, he wanted them reliant on him each day for their, for, for their sustenance. And um, I think that's what we are with this show. Um, yeah, we, we, we intend to do seven seasons, but I'm not really focused on the seventh season yet. I mean, we know where the story is going to go. We've plot, outlined it. Um, you know, while I'm shooting season two, we're already writing season three. Um, but, you know, once The Chosen ends, I'm going to take probably a year-long nap. Uh, that's going to be my <laughs> first priority. And then, yes, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying they'd love to see the Book of Acts. They'd love to see us, you know, kind of pursue other, uh, you know, uh, periods of, of, of scripture. Um, and that's certainly on our, on our mind. And, uh, but, but, but right now we're, we're thrilled just to have the opportunity to do season two and we're concentrating on making that great. It's really, really hard to make a good TV show. Um, I think we did, I, I think we accomplished that in season one. There's no guarantee that's going to happen in season two. And so right now my focus is 100% on uh, making sure that uh, what, what I have in front of me is as good as it can be. Right. And, and one other thing that you had mentioned earlier, you said you're headed down to Texas for filming. Why'd you choose Texas? I mean, other than the fact that this is God's country. I was going to say, I mean, I don't and, think and I need to tell you on it. Yeah. I mean, everybody loves Texas, but of all the places you could have chosen, why Texas? Well, we shot season one exclusively in Texas because there's actually a, a, a set out in the middle of nowhere in, in, a, in a small town called Poolville, uh, just outside of Weatherford, about an hour from oh, I know where that is. CFW. Yeah. There's a set that this woman built. Um, just It, it was rel it's relatively small, but it was kind of a first century recreation of Capernaum. And so it, it suited our needs for season one. Uh, season two, we, we filmed the first half um, I've been back for about a month. We filmed the first half in Utah. They have an incredible Jerusalem set out there uh, that we made use of. And now we're back in Texas. 
the landscape is actually quite similar to Israel in many ways. Uh, we have some roots there. We have some connections there. Uh, we, we got opportunity to use land um, in Midlothian, Texas, where uh, there's 700 acres that we're going to be able to use and build on and build some sets on. Uh, my family and I are probably going to be moving there uh, in 2021 because uh, we're setting up kind of a long term uh, here for the show. So there's multiple reasons between the topography, the connections we already have, um, and uh, what we did in season one. It, it just is it's starting to make a lot of sense. So it won't be the only place we film. We'll be back in Utah occasionally as well. But, um, you know, we, we feel like uh, there's a lot of places in Texas that, are, that feel like chosen country. We have a good base of support there, and people really love the show. And, um, you know, it, th it makes a lot of sense for me and my, for my family and I. We're currently living in Illinois, um, and, uh, which, I, which is my hometown, which I grew up in, which I love. But uh, I think uh, in many ways, Texas gives us a lot more freedom uh, to do what we really love to do. So we're looking well, forward and, to the freedom and, part. And you don't have to hide it. You know you love the food down here. I mean, it's great barbecue. I, it's absolutely. great Mexican food. I mean, <laughs> Look, I'm a, I eat keto. I mean, I'm I'm a high fat, low you know low carb keto ketogenic diet. So Texas is made for me. So I'm I'm yes. that's one of my favorite parts. Some of the, my favorite restaurants in the entire world are in Texas. So I can't wait. I, I think we missed out on calling the keto diet the Texan diet because that I, I didn't even realize that was a thing until, it, you know, this keto stuff came along. I said, well, that's what I eat. I eat a lot of meat. I eat a lot of cheese, high fat, low carb. I mean, that's what living in Texas is all yeah, about. I mean, it was the worst last label to put on something and then actually sell it. It's like, oh, you eat meat, cheese, and occasionally a potato. Oh, let's sell it for $9.99 thing yeah. a week. It's like, yeah, people have been eating like this since, you know, like 1800. It's, it's not a thing. Now, going back a little bit, um, do you feel that once you get the show almost off your chest, what are you going to do next? I mean, where are you going to move in terms of, is there any different way you can conceive of, how you want to get, you know, the gospel of Christ across. I mean, is if you get through this seven seasons, I mean, what's going to be the next step? Or do you just feel that was your mission? Well, yeah, like I mentioned, I mean, we, I, I'm really concentrating on the next season. And I know that sounds like a cliche, but I'm not, I really am not thinking ahead um, that far. Uh, it's not because, like Game of Thrones then, so. Well, it's, well, it's, it's, uh, yeah, right. But it's, um <laughs> You know, in in five, you know, where I'm at in five years is none of my business. Um, right. God, God has that orchestrated for me, and I'm just trying to follow His plan. So I and I mean that genuinely. Um, but we are working right now to build. I mean, the chosen has become such a source of nourishment for so many people, and they they feel like the show has introduced them to Jesus in a way that they've never been before. That we're trying to keep up just with the demand for more of that nourishment. So we've got devotional books that we've, you know, my wife and her writing partner and I have written. The first two are out now. We have a Bible study curriculum coming out in January. Uh, well, yeah, this month. Um, we have a, a my, my dad, who's the author of the Left Behind books, which were hugely popular 25 years ago, right. um, is writing the novel uh, based on The Chosen. We've got uh, a children's book that that just came out. Um, we're really trying, and in the app, there's opportunities to watch the show, but also then to go deeper, to get, we actually call it the deeper dive, where you can get deeper into the stories, deeper into the characters, deeper into the scriptures. Um, so we really do want to continue to make this a, a, a 
a destination for people who want a, to, to go a little bit deeper or, or to meet Jesus in an authentic way. So um, we'll, we'll continue to build on that. I, I've kind of thought that there's been an underrepresentation of the end times part in the Bible. I know it's a difficult thing to approach because it divides a lot of Christian views. You know, the book of Revelations, how much of it is symbolic, how much of it should be taken literally. But, you know, there really has not been given, I guess, even somebody taking it commercially, you know, anybody really running with this, this end times thing. And I mean, you know, if you really wanted to do it, 2020 was probably the year to put out that biblical end times thing. But it always seems this kind of third rail of topics which nobody will touch in terms of Christian media, whether it be like podcasts, books, movies, or anything. And I mean, I know it's an unknown, but even in, it, it seems almost too delicate to even put a commentary on, you know, the topic. Well, that's, that's maybe true in the mainstream um, but I would, I would, I would argue with you a little bit on that because I, you know, I mentioned Left Behind. So my dad did the Left Behind books, which were a cultural phenomenon for for years. Oh, so from the book, right from the from the book side, that was the case. And they tried to make some movies. Um, the movies did well, you know, twenty years ago on video, but they never really kind of got into the. They they weren't, I think, big enough to really make an impact in the mainstream. There's been quite a few movies made about the end times. Um, but they're all, they all tend to be pretty low budget and, and there's kind of this little cult following of end times movies. Uh, but I, th- I do think you're right that there hasn't been anything on that's been significant in, in, in film and television. Uh, I, I hope to eventually change that. I mean, I, before my father dies, I want to give him a, the, a left behind show or movie that, that I think that those books really deserved and he hasn't quite gotten it, gotten it there yet. And um, so we, we, we have been in discussions to potentially do a show like The Chosen, a multi-season show based on Left Behind. Um, and, and I think that could be, because I, I think it's really interesting. And I think, like you said, 2020 was for sure an opportunity to, to, to bring all that stuff to the forefront. So it's certainly on our radar. But, uh, but yeah, it is challenging because um, it's such a, the book of Revelation is so weird <laughs> in, uh, in, in good and bad ways. And uh, so we... Uh, but I, but I do think uh, it's, it's, it's something that I'd love to try to tackle at some point in my career as, as, a, as kind of the definitive left behind show. Yeah, now, I mean, I, I would absolutely love it if we did that. I mean, I've read the Left Behind series. I mean, I've read all of those like multiple times. And, you know, I understand why people don't necessarily want to touch that in terms of uh, a TV show and everything, because you're always, the moment you start on that, you've got critics from day one. I mean, even if you just had a 100% Christian audience, you're going to have critics from day one because everybody interprets things differently. I mean, it's not like, you know, the original Gospels where, you know, it's the eyewitness accounts. And again, with your show, I mean, it does, you know, a great job in terms of that. I mean, there's no realm of kind of, oh, well, no, I think they would have seen that differently. Because, you know, you're choosing it from a character, seeing it, and that's how they saw it. But once you start getting into the later books of the New Testament, I mean, it becomes very difficult because it's like you you genuinely need some divine knowledge to understand a lot of the stuff. I think in the Gospels, you don't. You just need to have an open heart 
you need to have some faith and you can accept everything which is portrayed in the gospels but once you get to the later books of the new testament you've really kind of got to have some divine knowledge to really kind of understand what's going on with stuff and you know it's the thing that it's not for everybody not everybody needs to know everything about what's going on and i think that's where some people fall down it's like well you know we all need to know when when the end day is or when this is happening and the day christ is returning no you really don't that's not (laughs) that's not the thing that's not on the agenda Right. So, so Dallas, I'm curious, you know, you, you being a filmmaker and getting into this, you've got to have a, at least maybe an inspiration or kind of a favorite movie that was made about the Bible. I mean, I, I think back of uh, Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. And I mean, it, what a great movie that was in, in thinking about the ability that they had back then for special effects and the way that it looked. But was so not the life of Brian, not that one. <laughs> the life of Brian. Was like, oh, that that uh, <laughs> you know, I, that was probably bigger in England. I I did watch it. It was funny, but but was was there one of those old you know kind of Bible, either a a movie or a miniseries or whatever that maybe you you watched and was kind of an inspiration to say, you know what, that was cool. Now I want to do this. Yeah, I mean, I think. I think to some extent, the majority of them were inspirations in the, in the, in the opposite way, meaning, and I don't even mean, I don't even say that to criticize them. It was more just like a, okay, that's been done. That's been done multiple times. Uh, I want to do something different. Um, so whether it was the way Christ was portrayed or the fact that they were Bible verse to Bible verse, miracle to miracle, um, you know, the fact that uh, they were trying to fit a lot in into to one, one small dose uh, so most of it has been like a, a reaction to what I've seen and a, I'm going to do something completely different. Uh, I was inspired for sure as a child by, by the miniseries Jesus of Nazareth, um, which was on every year on, you know, I think it was NBC or, uh, but, but I remember, you know, as a believer appreciating what looked like a pretty epic portrayal of my faith and what I believed in. So that was certainly uh, I think early on, uh, an inspiration. The Passion of the Christ, obviously, is kind of the definitive um, portrayal of Christ from the last 25 years. And um, but but they did something that I that I did like, which was instead of trying to tell the big story in a small amount of time, they they focused in on one small, you know, like one day basically, um, you know, or one night, um, and they were able to then explore it in its fullest extent. And I would say that when I describe the chosen to people, a lot of times I use the passion of the Christ as an example, not the style or the tone. It's actually quite melodramatic, which is different from how the chosen is. But when you ask people, what are your favorite moments from the passion of the Christ? I, I think pretty much everyone would include, there's a scene where Jesus flashes back to a moment with his mother, or his mother is flashing back to it when Jesus is building a table and they yep. he cheated her and splashes her with water. And people mention that all the time. And I always say the chosen is, filled with all of those moments that's what the chosen is is yeah well well, you're talking you're talking about that moment where he's building a table and she's saying oh nobody's gonna you know sit at a table like this or whatever and it you know it's early in the movie and you kind of have that little chuckle and you say okay it kind of lightens you up 
and it's actually well done the way they do it because you know you're going in you know exactly what you're going to see kind of like the wolf had said before i mean there's no spoiler alert here this isn't mandalorian season two and luke right. skywalker appears at the end of the mandalorian as a cgi guy right i mean right. knows the story so when you actually kind of see this little uh I don't know what you call it, like an editorial moment where you're like, you know, maybe as a carpenter, we all know he was a carpenter, that he said, hey, you know, what if we had a table like this? And you kind of have that chuckle in it and you kind of sit back in the chair a little bit and you're like, okay, I'm going to relax now. Uh, I, I'm not going to be on the edge of my seat. I, it, you know, they, they've settled me in. This is, it's going to be serious. But at the same time, I can kind of settle in now. You, you got me comfortable. And, and yeah, it, I, feels, it feels human. Yeah, it feels human. It feels relatable. It feels like the kind of shows that you normally would watch. And, and I think that's one of the things that's been a problem is so many Jesus projects don't feel like anything you normally would want to watch. It's very formal, very staged, very presentational, very reverent. Reverence can be a good thing, of course. But, sure. uh, but sometimes it can detract you from humanity and and from being at all anything that you can kind of engage with. And so that's, that's one of the main things that I've tried to do with the show. And that's, you know, one thing I was thinking about when you're talking, it's, it's almost easy to portray the divinity of Christ, but to portray the humanity of where Jesus came in the flesh that, you know, there may have been a week or two weeks where there was nothing Jesus-y or godly going on it was just a regular thing. This is the whole thing. Jesus came in the flesh that, you know, portray like Jesus as a human being, but without sin, but having this predestination, I guess that, you know, I think that's where people kind of lose a little bit of connection because, you know, people want idols and I mean, especially nowadays, you know what I mean? Now you've got music, you've got, you know, film and everything, people want idols and, you know, they crucify their idols at the moment they make a mistake. But, you know, in terms of deity, I think people have a, a difficulty in understanding that Jesus was fully human and fully flesh and he walked among us and he was a human being. And yeah, he went maybe a month or two months without anything wonderful or godly or miraculously ever happening but that was the thing jesus came in the flesh he was one of us he was god's son but how do you you know relate to somebody who didn't come like that i mean it's the only deity in every religion where somebody came and you know walked among us and was one of us i mean every other religion has people the moment they're introduced there's some type of God with superpowers They're like the Avengers, whatever Jesus mm -hmm. came in the flesh. He was one of us. He was born in a manger, born in a lowly life. You know, Jesus came in the flesh. And I think, you know, trying to find that disconnect of how do you get people to understand, you know, there was a point in time where Jesus was just like you. He just lived a day just like you. He pooped. He maybe ate a bad diet that day, you know, maybe ate the equivalent of nachos or pizza that day, but he came in the flesh, you know, he lived your life and, you know, trying to jump from that, I guess. And when, you know, cause the gospels, you know, when you're talking about again across 
three years, I mean, that's really what it covers, um, is where people find it just very difficult. You know, just trying to, yeah, he was just like me for a time, just living my everyday life is perfect. And then he gave up his life and saved the world. I mean, that that's, you know, the hard, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> well, he did it. Sell, he, but you know what I mean? He, he, yeah, and he did it in a way that people didn't expect. They wanted him to be a military leader. They thought he was going to yeah. kind of come in and establish this big new kingdom and, and be like an Avenger. And and uh, he was the opposite in many ways. And um, yeah, that's 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 the hard thing that people struggled with back then. And um, and 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 hopefully, you know, now with a show like this, we can <coughs> introduce people to that concept and see how it portray how it relates to today and how we we don't always get justice we you know here on earth we don't always get exactly what we want and um sometimes we need to surrender and be broken and and, and concentrate on the personal the personal relationships as opposed to trying to get everything we want politically um to try to to try to establish um revenge to try to establish um you know what we want in the political sphere in the government we want Christian nation. We want our our values to be the dominant values, and that's not what Jesus promised. Yeah. So, in in making the show, have you traveled over to Israel or uh, you know any place over there and kind of gotten some inspiration behind that? Just you know, walked around, said you know, hey, here's the Mount of Olives, or or here's the old city yeah. of Jerusalem, or whatever. You know, in making this, did did you go over to that part of the world to kind of get some inspiration? Yeah. So back in 2018, before we launched the show, I went uh, to Israel with a few of my partners and a Messianic Jewish rabbi named Jason Sobel, who um, is one of our biblical and historical consultants on the show. And we spent a week. Um, I just I just had to be there before I made the show. I had to be where Jesus walked and. Um, and, and go to the hometown of some of the main characters from our show, like Magdala, where Mary Magdalene is from, and Capernaum, which is where our first season is set. And uh, yeah, that was very important, not only just for, for spiritual connection, but for, but for um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you can always research online, but I think until you're there and you can kind of feel the, the tactile, you know, have the tactile experience and, and, and experience the history of our, of our faith, um, and, and the Jewishness of it. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Gentile. I'm an evangelical uh, American, but um, but it's important for me to kind of experience the Jewish roots of my faith as well, because that's what uh, that's who Jesus was, you know. And that's that's the, the story of of the Savior is the story of the Jewish people uh, first and foremost. And so that was an important thing to do for it, sure. And when you were over there, what, was there a surreal feeling? I mean, when you're walking around all these places that, you know, historically, I mean, they all exist, you know, Jerusalem's been there for years and all that good stuff. And you're walking around and you're saying to yourself, you know, hey, this might be somewhere where Jesus and the disciples camped out one night or, yeah. you know, hey, here's you know, the Sea of Galilee, which is a lake, and they called it a sea, but, you know, <laughs> hey, we we know they fished here and all that. Um, that had to be kind of an interesting feeling just to be around all that. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think everyone who goes there has a little bit of that sense. I, you know, what's funny is the first couple of days, I didn't 
feel like I had that moment that people describe where you're standing where Jesus stood and it overwhelms you. Um, it wasn't, I mean, I, I certainly appreciated it and was and, and loved it and went to the Sea of Galilee in the, in the spot where uh, Simon called, I mean, Jesus called Simon to follow him, which we portray in season one. And we did several videos that are on our YouTube channel where you can see some really cool behind the scenes insights into the stories and the places. But it wasn't until I was in Magdala, where Mary Magdalene's birthplace was, where I was standing in a, in a uh, first century synagogue, um, where I felt really strongly like God was laying it on my heart um, that, that this show was going to be the definitive portrayal of who his followers were, who Jesus's followers were. And that was a big deal. And uh, I felt God was just laying it on my heart. I'm not going to let you screw it up. And, uh, and so that was, that was key. Being in Magdala, being in kind of those, some of those humble places, uh, to me, were more impactful than being in some of these tourist locations where big churches have been built. Yeah. Now, um, I, I understand why the shepherd asked that question, because we were going to do a podcast in a few weeks about something called the Jerusalem Syndrome. And it was about people who had basically, you know, traveled to Jerusalem and just had this incredible spiritual experience and connection there. And, you know, not necessarily even gone there for that reason, but it absolutely changed their lives that just walking in the footprints of Christ, you know, changes people. And I, you know, I have a, you know, firm belief that, you know, being in the environment or being where people are, that, you know, you can pick up on that energy. I mean, you can walk into a room and know where people have been arguing and stuff. And, you know, this is kind of timestamp, right, in time. And I think, you know, with like, you know, the Holy Lands, that it's almost impossible for you to go there and, you know, walk in the places where Jesus went and just not feel, I, I don't know, just something which connects with your soul, which it's just explains almost everything to you there. Now, if you could have, I don't know, gone back and maybe rewritten how you did stuff with a show, would you have done stuff differently? Would you have shortened it down from like, you know, I know you said you want to do seven seasons, but would you have gone about it? maybe a different way after you got like through the first season and stuff? Uh, not at all, to be honest with you. Um, and that's not to say that I don't make mistakes um, and that I'm not an imperfect filmmaker and leader and whatnot. I, I certainly am imperfect, but uh, this, this project, I, I surrendered it to God um, from the beginning. You know, I mean, this project was birthed out of failure. My, my previous feature film, which came out in January of 2017 called The Resurrection of Gavin Stone, which is a film that I'm very proud of and, and uh, still love, but, I, but it failed at the box office. And I gave up trying. I, I basically said, God, if you don't want me to make another movie, that's fine. And um, I'm just going to surrender to, I just want to do what you want. It's not my job to feed the 5,000. It's only my job to provide the loaves and fish. And I'm not going to worry about success or failure anymore. I'm just going to worry about making sure that the loaves and fish that I do make are the best and healthiest they can be. And if you decide to do something with it, that's up to you. But I'm, I'm, I'm done, done trying so hard. Uh, and uh, that, so that, that, that's led to The Chosen, and that's why The Chosen is where it is. Yeah. Well, when I read, actually, on the thing of your show, and it said about, oh, it's the largest crowd, you know, funded source ever, 
you know, when I was reading through it, I thought, yeah, I mean, this would have been funded regardless. I mean, it, you know, I, I, if God wants to put his message across, it doesn't matter how or where that money is going to come from. Mm. I mean, it might be somebody dying and leaving you like $9 million. It might be whatever. I, re I really genuinely think from when I read through that, you know, your show is from God. It's what God wants you to do. And the money and everything else is going to come along to make your show because I think it's a very important thing. I mean, and, you know, looking at, I had time to watch, you know, an episode and a half today before we did um, this podcast. And I, I think it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, it's definitely God ordained. I mean, I, I guarantee, you know, God's blessing and spirit is upon this show. I mean, I'm, I'm happy and making it, man. I honestly am. Yeah. It's great to hear you, and I can't wait to see what you think after you watch all eight episodes, because I think it just gets the, the first episode and a half are just the setup, you know, in many ways. But uh, but ultimately, uh, yeah, we, you know, I'm I'm following God's lead on this, and and that's that. If I can get through all seven seasons uh, as broken and surrendered, and as in 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 His will as I am now, uh, that'll be that'll be the success. Yeah. So right. so I I've got an interesting question because. You know, people that listen to podcasts, they tend to go a little bit on the conspiratorial side. Seven seasons, the world was created in six days, and God rested on the seventh day. Is there any connection there? I mean, did you say it's got to be seven? Because the number seven goes in the Bible a lot. It, yeah. Did you say it's got to be seven seasons? You know, uh, you're, you're yeah. talking about you're you're about to start filming. You know, the second season, and you've already got like seven seasons. Is there any? Or is this a coincidence? A little bit. Um, we were originally thinking eight seasons. Uh, Game of Thrones was eight seasons, and you know, we thought that's a you know, we, there was kind of a, a a nice story to be told about how we're kind of a. We're trying to also reach a billion people like Game of Thrones reached. And it was just something interesting about that. And uh, one of our partners just said, you know, uh, for two reasons. One, we want to get this out as quickly as possible. We feel a sense of urgency. The world seems to be going crazy. And so that, you know, let, can we tell the story in seven instead of eight, just so that it's, it's out there quicker. That was part of it. And then, yes, absolutely. The fact that seven is for sure a, a biblical number a holy number in many ways that that contributed to it as well but it wasn't it wasn't the driving force it's not like when i first set out to do this it was seven because seven is a biblical number it, and, and it, that kind of revealed itself over time yeah that makes sense it makes total sense but you you also have to appreciate the fact that i mean people are gonna look at the fact and say okay well that number seven He's already saying seven seasons, all that good stuff. I mean, you know, I had to ask the question. Of course, sure. And if they want to, and, and I'm not going to dissuade them of that if they if they want to believe that there was some sort of uh, grand plan from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, but, but you know, certainly God had a grand plan, and, and if we end up doing seven, because uh, you know, I, I may think the reasons are because of that's how the story worked out, and. And God may be chuckling, going, "No, I had seven in mind all along, because because I have a thing with the number seven, and I have since day one, so uh, which is, which is perfect, perfectly fine." Now, how would you have um, thirty years ago made this show? 
because I know that like obviously the channels of distribution you've had to you know get, get the money through different sources but if we go back 30 years right 1990 how would you have gone about making this show I mean I don't I don't know that it could have been done um you know we could have potentially gotten the funding in the same way that we did now I mean crowdfunding online didn't exist back then but you know it's possible that I could have you know, convinced certain investors to, to, to come forward with a show like this. Um, but, you know, that wouldn't have gotten the traditional distribution. I mean, we would have had to invent something like we have now. So, um, you know, they, they, the cliche is necessity is the mother of invention. Um, you know, my, my partners at VidAngel, which is the streaming service that invented the app that this show is now watched on, it's, it's new technology this technology that allows you to just go, I mean, I could go to your house and if you have a Roku or an Apple TV or a fire stick, I could, you know, grab my phone, pull up my chosen app and connect it directly to your Roku um, with no uh, subscription or anything. That's technology that they created. And uh, so, you know, would they have created it back in 1990? Of course not, you know, because the, the internet wasn't, you know, what it was, what it is today. So I don't know. I mean, honestly, and I, I don't mean this to, di to dismiss the question at all. It's just, I don't, I, I'm in a place now where I don't get caught up in the past or the future. I'm really just like, look, right now, all I'm doing is whatever God's allowing me to do, which was see, which is season two. I start filming that in just a few days. And, uh, and I'm grateful that he held off this show until I, you know, he felt like I was ready to make it. Um, well, that was, that, that was absolutely that. why I asked you that question because, you know, God has perfect timing. Right. Uh, it, it's funny reading when people say, oh, if Jesus came today, it'd be a socialist or it'd be this and be that. It's like, well, it's a stupid question because he came at the time, which was the most perfect time in history. You know, right. he didn't come today because almost nobody would have accepted him. You know, he came at the time, which was, the perfect time and that's why i asked you that question because yeah 30 years ago you could not do what you were doing now right right god ordained what you're doing now for you to do it now right this is the perfect time for you to do it now and that's why i always find it kind of almost comical when people ask those questions about you know how would you have done this this and this if jesus was alive then and blah, blah. no god's timing is perfect and so you, you're at exactly where you need to be at, you know, in God's timeline, you know, and it's, it's going to be what it's going to be. And I mean, like I said, I mean, it's, I, I absolutely love the fact that despite the way, you know, a lot of, you know, media is in terms of how it leans that we can still have, you know, somebody like you coming out with a sincere Christian content and have an avenue to be able to, for people who actually want to be able to listen to it and watch it, it be there because that wasn't always there. I mean, we, I think we went through a dark period of three decades where Christian content, it wasn't, you know, necessarily like prejudicial against it, but there just was not an avenue to maybe you know, put it out there. And there wasn't, I mean, between like 1980 and 2010, there weren't any Christian shows or Christian movies on TV and there was no avenue for you to put that stuff out there. Now, if anybody, you know, it, you know, God puts the spirit in somebody like you, 
you can go out there and make a show and you've got an avenue, you've got a distribution channel and you can get that out there. So, I mean, I think this is the best time in history really for, you know, people to be able to get out the, you know, gospel of Christ because, you know, there's not the barriers. We don't right. have to wait for somebody to write a checkbook for you to be able to get the message out there. Yeah. And because of the app, we're able to get into countries that like Iran and China that are, you know, that are hard to sometimes get books or traditional movies into. People in China and Iran can just download the app directly and not have to worry about it. Um, and so that's been a huge thing. Just those barriers being removed have been, has been huge for the show. Uh, COVID was what, I mean, this is a horrible thing to say, but COVID was the best thing for The Chosen. Um, sure. it, it, it's what caused everyone to start watching it. You know, they were in their homes, they had time, and uh, the show exploded once COVID hit. Um, right. especially when we, when COVID hit, we decided to give the show away for free for a few weeks. And then we haven't looked back since then. It's been free since then. And I think God, again, that was part of his plan. And God said, not, not, not COVID. I don't think COVID was part of God's chosen plan. Um, you know, I don't think that's why COVID exists, but I'm just saying it's it, the, God's plan for the chosen was, for, was for sure accelerated by COVID, which allowed us to say, all right, let's just make it free you know, while people are home, let's do this kind of as an act of goodwill. And, uh, and immediately our income quadrupled. You know, that's how God's impossible math works. And so, Whoa. yeah, there's no other better time. And that's a perfect, perfect uh, summary for you to give is that, you know, there really is no better time than, than now. Uh, God's timing is perfect. And we, I'm, I'm, I just feel very fortunate to be part of it. Yeah, and, and sure, especially if you look at any of the news articles or whatever that's going on with the age of COVID that we're in right now of everybody streaming Netflix. And I'm, I'm, I wouldn't have cared about the Tiger King and, you know, what happened with this guy in Oklahoma having all these tigers or whatever, but you know, you get stuck and you're like, well, you know, I gotta, I, I gotta watch something that I, I gotta entertain myself. And it was kind of that perfect storm. And that is an I, absolute lie. You came in, to the office and asked me, have you watched the Tiger King? I said, no. Well, and you said, you need to watch the Tiger King. And then I yeah, then, but for was, three days, I like watched the whole of the Tiger King. So yeah, but, but it was, yeah, but it was all in this age of COVID that we're in right now. Yeah. I probably yeah. wouldn't have watched it, but it, it was right. entertaining enough to where I right. said, hey, you know, I'm going to watch this, but at least you've got some, some great content. So coming <laughs> Coming down to Texas, uh, just, you know, a, a plug for, for me in the wolf here. You know, if you need, you know, a, a shepherd to walk around in the background or whatever, or, you know, somebody that is a British and a horrible actor to, you know, walk around in the background. I mean, we're available. I, I, I'm just saying that I wouldn't mind being an extra, but. Yeah, well, so noted, uh, you know, right now, <laughs> Uh, extras who, you know, in the age of COVID, it, we're, we're a bit of a bubble, so we can't have as many visitors as we would have liked, and uh, unfortunately. But yeah, no, it'd be fun. Uh, look, I mean, most Jesus movies from back in the day were all British anyway, so this wouldn't be a, it would, it would probably make people feel like they're back home, you know, watching a show where for some reason, Jewish people in first century Israel have British accents. Yeah, well, we, we got to make sure to to let everybody know that Jesus did not have a British accent. Uh, right, but, that, but God that, does, yeah. Yeah, oh, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, I don't know about all that. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. Now, I'm kidding. now, I'm kidding. now, I'm kidding. now you're going to make the wolf all happy that 
that God yeah. has a British accent. So yeah. I, I think yeah. we speak the true English in, in yeah. that way. Yeah. I'm guaranteed Jesus used the semicolon. So. <laughs> he invented it for sure. He invented it for sure. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Right. Yep. Well, Dallas, we certainly appreciate you joining us for this. And uh, can you give us just kind of an outro, how to find the show, how to download the app, uh, all that good stuff? It, you know, it, this is your time to shine. Get, give us the plugs. Well, thank you. Yeah, if you want to watch the show, it's actually, it's quite easy. Uh, you can just, wherever you get your apps on your phone, whether that's Google Play or uh, the app store, you just look up the chosen. We're very easy to find. You download it to your phone. If you're thinking, I don't want to watch a show on my phone, I agree with you. I don't either. So that's why they, uh, we have this technology where now you can directly connect your chosen app to your streaming device. Apple TV, Roku, Fire Stick, Chromecast. You can watch it on your television. Totally free, totally easy. No um, subscription, no money, no nothing. I promise you, it is, you can be watching on your TV within minutes from downloading the app. It's super easy and uh, you can join uh, literally millions of people around the world who are, who've been doing it. And uh, we, we use the term binge Jesus. Uh, there's so many great things to binge all over the world, but if you're going to binge on something, uh, it might as well be uh, Jesus and the stories of the gospel. So check out season one on uh, the chosen app. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly, fairly confident that uh, you'll, you'll appreciate it. Yeah. And, and by the way, not, not to hijack this, but I did see the picture, I believe it was your boy that had the t-shirt that said binge Jesus. Wait, was that your son or somebody else's kid? Um, perhaps. I mean, a lot of, we, we sell that shirt. So a lot of people, oh, okay. have, yeah. So if you go to uh, thechosenmerch.com, I don't want to give too many websites and stuff because no, I know they're no, go forgetting for it. No, But go if you go it. to uh, thechosenmerch.com, uh, we have Ben Jesus shirts. We have, um, you know, shirts that uh, from from the show and hoodies and a calendar. And uh, we're, we're, we we tried to avoid having a bunch of trinkets, make it feel like a gift store or anything. But there's some really cool stuff that people love. So yeah, so a bunch of people have been wearing the Ben Jesus shirts. Have really gotten popular just because I think it's a nice conversation starter out in public. Yeah, no, it's great. So Dallas, we certainly appreciate you joining us and. Uh, you know, I, I know you fit us in. It, here it is. It's January 1. I, I know this isn't going to come out January 1, but uh, we'll just kind of leak that out that we're actually doing it on the <laughs> new year 2021. And for you to take some time out of your day to talk to us, we certainly appreciate it. And we hope everybody is going to check out this show. Uh, I'm going to binge watch it. Uh, i I went home today, uh, we had an interview earlier, and my kids binge-watched Cobra Kai, and so I've, I've got to catch yeah. up on that, but I've already told the wife, hey, we, we've got to catch up on this show. I, yeah. I Honestly, I, I didn't know about the show, I've got to be honest with you, and that's why I kind of wanted to get in contact with you and say, you know, hey, what what's this going on? I, I think any kind of you know, outlet that you can have to spread the news about what you're doing, uh, you need to do. And, and it, it looks great. And please keep up the good work and, and keep doing this. And please well, thanks so much. And uh, yeah, and I, uh, I, I, we've heard from families everywhere um, that this is the kind of show that I didn't expect this to happen, but it's been true. Teenagers, uh, children as young as six years old are obsessed with the show. So uh, yeah, my family and I, we're going to be binging Cobra Kai. Uh, we're, in, we're in season two right now. We'll be binging that tonight. But, uh, but I, I hope you, you, you uh, check out with your family 
the chosen. And it's the kind of thing that you won't have to force your kids to watch. Uh, yeah. Kids have really, really enjoyed it. So thanks. Thanks for that. And uh, we'll, we'll uh, talk again after you've seen it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dallas. And thanks for tuning into this episode of the Wolf and the Shepherd. We'll catch you on the next one. Thank you. Bye-bye.